It's great to be up here with y'all today. Um, hate the circumstances that Kevin's coughing his head off, but uh, at least it saves some of y'all getting spit on. So uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. You can put up with me to not get spit on. Uh, April made that announcement. Okay, Chris, go ahead. Y'all can go take your clothes off. And I was thinking, they don't want me up here with no clothes on. Y'all don't want that. But let's give them another round of applause. That's, that's a lot of work. A lot of work. And, uh, you know, it's, it's songs like that. And I know that was a, that was a uh, kind of a collaboration of, of other songs. But make you feel the weight, right? Make you feel the weight of what, what has been done for us. Uh, like Kevin had said... We're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, and that's where we'll be for the most of the time. Uh, but before we get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father God, we stand before you right now, Lord, totally dependent on you, Lord, to, uh, to guide us through your word. Lord, I, I pray that our hearts would be prepared to receive your word, Lord. And that fruit would come out of that. Obedience would come out of that. We wouldn't just want to come, Lord, and just hear your word um, spoken. We would want to be changed by your word. Father, I pray that's exactly what happens, happens today. Father, we can't thank you enough for the sacrifice that was given for our sins. We'll never be able to repay. All we can say is thank you. Father, I ask for you to, uh, to guide me, guide my words. Guide my emotions. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, riding, riding in on a, a humble beast of burden, that's what the Bible refers a donkey to, is not the way most people would expect a king to enter into his kingdom reign. This thing all starts to culminate here. You wouldn't think of a king riding in on a donkey, would you? In fact, most of us would expect the king to come in in the most elaborate way possible. Uh, big flash, big pizzazz, this is the, a, a great big event, right? Uh, so I did a little bit of research. In 1838, Queen Victoria of England wore a crown of giant rubies and sapphires that surrounded, get this, a 309 carat diamond. Her crown contained over 3,093 gems. Imagine carrying that on your head. Her scepter, which was a staff-like object that she carried during her coronation, was capped with an even larger diamond cut from the Star of Africa. The Star of Africa was a diamond that was weighing over 3,100 carats, and 516 of those carats we're on that lady's staff. So she's weighted down by stones, right? The text that we have today, the scripture we were reading, is the most significant coronation of the entire world, and yet it looks nothing like that. Nothing like that at all. This section of scripture in our Bibles is the last major public appearance before being taken into custody and finally being crucified. It's not the way that a starting of a kingdom looks like, right? Nobody has ever taken, we don't read of this queen being taken, 
and then killed in the next few days. But this kingdom is different. As with all of Scripture, here we're going to see the perfect and absolute sovereignty of God over God's divine timeline. What I mean by absolute sovereignty of God, that means He is absolutely control in control of everything. There's nothing outside of His control. Down to the minute details, even though some of them might be out of the ordinary, this, we're, let's get into this text here. It says, Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, and they came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples. So Bethpage was this small, small place. It was not even big enough to be considered a village, right? The only thing we know about it is it's closely related to the Mount of Olives. It's, it's closely uh, related to Bethany. And so they stopped there, and Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Stop right there. Go into a village that you probably don't have. A, it's not like they had a lot of acquaintance. They didn't tell them, Go to Joe's farm and get the donkey, go into the village and go to this spot here and get this donkey and get this colt. Now think of being those two disciples. You want us to just go take somebody's animals and bring them back, right? That's what he's saying. If He goes on in verse 3, he says, If anyone says anything to you, you shall say to them, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Well, that fly today. Can you go get grab some? Can you go grab Kevin's cow and say the Lord needs them? I'm going to take them with me. Probably not. Probably not. But you see, God in control, even down to the men's, the men who owned the donkeys, the men who owned the colt. This was all prepared beforehand. This is actually a prophecy that goes all the way back to Zechariah. 500 years before this has taken place. It says, and I'll flip there because I don't want you to miss this and I don't want you to take my word for it. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt. The foal of a donkey. 500 years before this took place, that donkey and that coal were to be sitting right where they were at, exactly where he sent the disciples. Amen. That's how much God is in control of, down to every flake of dust. So, it says, verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets saying, say to the daughter of Zion, we just read it, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. It didn't say one thing in the Old Testament, and then they just went and got whatever was available. The exact prescribed thing that was to be used was exactly what was used. It's no different all the way up to the days that are led, to the crucifixion, to the death, to the resurrection. Everything was prescribed by the second, by the millisecond. Every detail. 
So, John 12 actually tells us of Jesus' visit to Bethany. So there was some relation there, right? Uh, With Mary and Martha and Lazarus. This is what Kevin had preached over a a few weeks ago. This wasn't their animal, though. They had been there. Y'all remember back. And this is actually, this point we're talking about here is before that happened. It says, this visit, or this is the visit where Mary, you remember, anointed Jesus' feet with the fine perfume, with the oil. And Judas said, what are you doing? We could take that and sell that for a lot of money. It's funny that the one points it out is actually the hypocrite and the thief of the crowd because we learned through that story, this is the man that's been stealing from the money bags all along. He's a hypocrite. And he's actually the one that will betray Jesus in the end and turn him over to the authorities. Also, um, I'll tell you what, let's just get back into the verses. I don't want to veer off here. So verses 1 through 7, let's read on down. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. I don't hear any fear here at all. Go get these. They went. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloak and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. You see here from these verses, like I said before, Jesus is always in control of the events that affected his life. Verse 6 says, They went. The claim that Jesus is God in the flesh is clearly seen in this instant. Not not just here, but we can see this example, right? Have y'all heard of the attribute of God called uh, omniscience? This is all-knowing, right? Only God possesses this. Only God. We see the claim for Jesus being God. He knows where this animal is going to be at. He knows exactly the disciples ascended, what moment at in time and where to go get them and what to say to the people where they're not going to fight these. They just hand them right over. We'll read this. They hand them right over. Mark 11, 4 through 6. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to... Oh, sorry. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. They didn't ask for permission, they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said. And they let them go. They let them go. No fight. No tugging on on the reins. Nah, I don't know about this. Luke 19.33 actually tells us those bystanders, and as they were untying the colt, its owners. These weren't people babysitting the mule. This was the owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they let them have it. God is in control of this situation down to every single detail. Verse 4 and 5 says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal of a beast of burden. If you just wrap your mind around the fact that this was prophesied 500 years ago, it's already blown. 
Just sit and think about that. 500 years ago, the detail, the explicit details. Isaiah, the explicit details. You come to the Bible with, and you ask, how can I trust that this is real? How can I trust that this is the truth? It just proves itself over and over again. I can't not say the Bible is true. I can't not trust the Bible when it's the only thing that I, I see to be true. 500 years before it took place, every detail was laid out and came to pass. Verses 8 through 11. And this is where we're going to get into the meat of the message here. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Here's a proof. Here's proof there's a crowd with Jesus. There's a crowd with Jesus. Anytime we see a crowd, our ears should be turned up. Crowds are usually bad news. But this crowd, they're, they're screaming, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Is this crowd different? This is a large crowd of people. John eleven fifty seven. This large crowd of people would have known this now that the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders. If anyone knew where he, Jesus, was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. This same crowd screaming Hosanna to the highest. Large multitude, other versions say. You can't count this amount of people. That's how many there are. They knew this. They knew, that, they knew the hatred the Pharisees had towards this man. They would have known this. They knew that they were supposed to turn him in so he could be arrested. But yet the, the prophecy is being fulfilled that Jesus would enter into the city on this donkey in this huge crowd of people unwittingly. They didn't know they were fulfilling prophecy. But you see God in control of this situation, right? These people were under this rule of, of a religious system and they had tossed their cloaks. Now think about this. They were tossing their cloaks on the ground. This was a way of, of showing respect. They didn't even want his feet or the animal's feet of the king to touch the ground they were on, right? John 12, 13 tells us that these were palm trees, hence why we celebrate Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of what is referred to as Passion Week or Holy Week. Passion not meaning so much emotion as it is suffering. The week of suffering is to come, right? Palm branches, especially in this culture, symbolized salvation and joy in this large crowd of people under this religious system are tossing palm branches and their clothes, their cloaks on the ground for Jesus to walk on. There's some similarity to this event that is going to take place in the future. 
Go, go to Revelation chapter 7. Tell me how this sounds familiar. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is a foreshadow, right? There's a difference though. There's a big difference we're going to see. There was a, a tremendous excitement to this crowd. As they followed along the side of Jesus, this was Jesus they knew, He spoke with authority. He healed the sick and the blind. He even had the power to raise the dead. This was their king. This is who they wanted, right? Massive crowd shouting, Hosanna, Son of David, blessed he, he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna the highest. Hosanna, I looked it up in my nerdery, is the transliteration of the Hebrew word, Hasane, which means, oh, save now, or please save. It's an intense emotion. Save now, save, I pray. That's what they're saying here. They were 100% on board with Jesus right now. They were on board, right? Despite the religious leaders wanting to kill him and knowing that. They were 100% on board with him. They had expectations in Jesus, though. They were ready to march anywhere with him to watch him conquer all those who opposed this is the classic rioting hysteria, right? Come on, Jesus, let's conquer. They were expecting an earthly deliverance. The idea of being uh, delivered from a Roman rule sounded so good to them. They would have followed anyone, including Satan, to get that done. And you find out they do. We find out a few days later they were led by Satan. The same crowd shouting, Hosanna in the highest. Save us. Save us, I pray. Save us. With this very same crowd that said crucify him. How does that happen? How does that happen? How can a crowd so tore up over this Jesus turn around and say crucify him just a few days later. Just a few days later. The people wanted a conquering, reigning Messiah who would come with a great military power. They wanted, them, they wanted, he wanted, they wanted him to remove them from this chokehold that, that Rome had on them. They wanted a Messiah that would establish his kingdom of righteous, righteousness and justice and where they would have special favor. That's, that's the Jesus they wanted. That's the king they wanted. They wanted this right now. Earthly-minded people always focus on earthly things. Earthly-minded people always focus on earthly things. Jesus did not come to conquer Rome. 
Jesus came to conquer sin and death. Jesus did not come to make war with Rome. Jesus came to make peace with God for us. This is the point. I've been studying this pretty much all week long. And then whenever I got the message, when I got the when Kevin asked me to, to stand up here, I really got into it. This is the point where the scripture went from my mind to my heart, where it pierced. Are you following Jesus? That's the question. Are you following Jesus? And if you are following Jesus, then are you following Jesus as Lord and King? And if you're not, how are you following Him? Think about it. Really think about it. We don't come to God's Word just to hear a message. We come to God's Word to be changed. It will get in and it will dig and it will find the things in you. You'll find the holes. It'll find the inconsistencies. And this is the question that I kept asking myself all week. Am I following Him as Lord and King? What does that look like? Do I trust Him with my life or am I so worried about earthly things that I'll turn my back on Him as soon as something goes wrong? Right? When things don't end up the way that I want to, will I turn my back on Him that quick? They were willing to follow until things didn't turn out the way they wanted. Right? We're good. Keep on pressing in. We want you to conquer. But as soon as He... He hit the brakes and backed off of it. As soon as they took him into custody, no part, no part. You didn't do what we said we wanted you to do, right? You didn't, you didn't meet our expectations. Save us, Lord. A few days later, kill him. It's selfish desires only. This is not a sorrow for sin. It's not seeing a need to be saved. No need for peace with God. Give me what I desire or die. Christ was our supreme model in obeying God all the way to the point of death. It wasn't about what He wanted. We've learned in Sunday school over and over again, He came to do the Father's will. Obedience to God, God's Word, is top priority in the, in the life of the Christian. Let me give you some advice. Following a good God in an evil world, expect suffering. Expect opposition. Expect hard times. This is not easy. Who can raise your hand and say, this Christian walk is the easiest thing that I've ever done in my entire life? Every time you try... There's opposition. And a lot of times, we're opposing to ourselves. You should be fighting. If you're not at war with your sin, you better be. Because if not, you end up in the same boat as these people. We are wrapped in a body of death that still wants to sin. We fight every day with ourselves. But look at the biblical pattern here, right? There's suffering, then glory. And the glory is not coming here. 
You're not going to be rescued from anything other than the, the pains of death and sin in this life. Don't come to Jesus expecting anything other than that. Glory. That's what you get on the other side of this thing. And I wanted this just to be about an Easter message, but I couldn't help it. just kept digging and digging and digging. I thought, how many people are sitting in this room right now and you're only here by what Jesus has given you? You're only here by some expectation of what Jesus is going to hand you. You're not promised anything in this life. Matter of fact, we all leave in death. That's what you can bank on. Might be today, might be 20 years from now, but that's how we leave here. Unless the Lord comes back before then, you will leave this world in death just like the same person headed to hell. There's a difference though. There's a difference. Solomon's hard lesson should be wisdom for us all. I think of my own life and I look backwards and I think of all the things that I chased. I chased after money. I chased after everything that would make me happy. Solomon had everything you could possibly want. <coughs> Even wisdom. <coughs> and you would think the wisest man in the world would have seen this coming, but everything he grasped after was vanity. He said it's all useless. Can I tell you, everything you might be chasing after today right now is useless. It is useless. I heard a preacher say one time, there is no U-Haul behind the hearse. You can't, you're not taking this stuff with you. You're going to stand before God one day naked, stripped of everything that you hide behind in, on this planet. You will stand before Him and He's not going to look at you and say, how much, did you, uh, how much did you get down there? How much money did you make down there? Nothing matters except for where you stood with Him. Did you have peace with Him? Were you only able to say that Jesus has covered your sins by His blood and you believe that and you banked your life on it? That's where every bit of your faith was. That's what's going to matter. Nothing else. And not a single one of us knows the date that we're leaving this place. You could be sitting here one moment hearing about God and you're face to face with Him that quick. As soon as you leave out of the parking lot, you might not even make it to the car. Jesus has conquered death and sin. He has made a way to have peace with God. And, and in biblical terms, when we think of a kingdom here, you will never see anywhere in this Old Testament where there's a king without a kingdom. And these passages we read today are the beginning of Christ's coronation that leads to Him reigning over all creation. He ascends as king. You don't see a lot of people die to become king. But this king is different. This king is the ruler over the whole entire world. All creation relies on Him. Your next breath relies on this king. Jesus came preaching, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is not something that will take place in the future. I want you to know that right now. It's, it's, it's complicated, but it's not, and I want to try to explain to you. R.C. Sproul uh, wrote, a, wrote a whole 
it was almost a whole book on it, and I just grabbed a piece out of it, and I want you to just think on this, and I'll try to go slow. The Lordship of Christ is not just the hope of Christians that someday might be realized. It is a truth that has already taken place. It is the task of the church to bear witness to that invisible kingdom. Or as Calvin put it, it is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom of Christ visible. Though invisible, it is nevertheless real. It is realer than anything you can see in front of you and touch. We have a responsibility. We have a big responsibility. It's not about you. It's not about me and what we desire and what our expect expectations are of what God would give to us or what don't take from us. But it's only about Jesus. That's what it means to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And so what I want you to ask yourself as you sit here today, is it about you? Is it about you? Or is it about Jesus and what He desires? And is it about the very thing that He has rescued us from? And I want us all to be very, very real with ourselves right now. Because there's not enough moments. It's easy to get in the swing of coming in here. We can hear the Word and we can ignore it. I don't know of a better preacher around here that, or anybody that I would rather hear than this man right here. Because I know when I come in here, I'm going to hear the Word of God. But can I be honest with you? There's been times when I walked out of here and it's been in one ear and out the other. And I didn't even think about it anymore. Don't do that. Don't do that. You need this more than you need your very next breath. More than you need that Kentucky Fried Chicken that you're going to go get when you leave here. You need it more than that. As you sit here today, where's your mind at? Where is your mind? As we begin to what is referred as Passion Week, Holy Week, where is your mind? Not what do you feel, because it's probably a little bit hungry right now. Set that aside. Now, I'm not talking about that. Where is your mind? We've read about the beginning here of, of what will turn into the most horrific event the world has ever known. The most disgusting murder you could probably ever think of. The most pain that anybody could ever go, go through. And yet it's the most beautiful display of love that the world has ever known. God so loved the world that He sent His only Son to the cross to die for our sins in the most grotesque way imaginable and having the full wrath of God poured out on Him even though we hated Him. We hated Him and He did that. Let that sink in. I don't have a super long message. I wasn't prepared for a super long message, but I think the message is clear here. Let this sink in. We, we went through Wednesday night, and I know uh, Heidi had, had just a lot of emotion. And it really got me thinking, what are we, what are we doing I'm not asking what are we doing as a church. I'm asking more of what am I doing. If we want something different, 
you start with yourself, right? I don't look for y'all as a crowd to go, all right, get on board with something and then I'll follow you. This starts with me. Is Jesus Lord in my life and can you see that in me? Does the world see that in you? How do you, how do you profess a kingdom that you can't even see? I'm not talking about a Jesus t-shirt here. I'm talking about does the world see Jesus in you? Do you believe it so much that you can't even help but live it out? Do you believe this word so much that you can't do without it? It's not about a routine of just picking your Bible up and, and, and high-fiving yourself that I crossed my box off today, right? I read this thing. Do you believe it so much that you bank your entire life on it? And what does that look like in your life? Or are there holes? And if they are, you're still breathing. It's not too late. It's not too late. As you go through this week, what I, what I would ask everybody to do is to keep reading further. Any of these Gospels, keep reading this thing out. Let's see how this week plays out. What, what does this king look like? How does this king different? You already see the most humble entry into the city ever known. And riding a donkey is, is nothing different. We've seen in, in, in David, right? In several occasions, they rode mules. That's not the point. It was the lowliness. He didn't come with pizzazz. Matter of fact, the crowd that was cheering him on is the, the crowd that wanted to kill him in the end. You don't see that much, do you? Read this story out and let this hit right here. And know what was done for you. Until you can see who you are and who God is and see that God so loved you enough that this was taking place for you, you'll never understand. And I, I pray right now that all your eyes and your ears have been attentive to this and it won't just leave this door. Don't let it be like bubble gum and spit it out in the parking lot as you walk out. This is God's word and take it seriously. Your life depends on it.